What's happening, everybody? Welcome to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access, a pre-Tax Act Texas Bowl Texans All Access. Mark and I, I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, silent reporter. Last night at the chairman's reception, we had a great time. We talked to Lane Kiffin, head coach at Ole Miss, Joey McGuire, head coach of Texas Tech. We talked to Raymond Claiborne, uh, who was a tremendous player at the University of Texas, Texas Bowl Gridiron legend. We talked to Robert Brazil. We talked to Warren Moon. Uh, we talked to Dante Pastorini, Dan Pastorini. I mean, we had a blast last night, and we're going to keep it going tonight before Brett Dolan and I broadcast the Tax Act Texas Bowl, Texas Tech and Ole Miss. So you're going to be hearing me a lot over the next, uh, I don't know, five, six hours, and I hope my pipes hold up by the fourth quarter, man. It's going to be a blast, though. We got a lot for you, and we're going to kick it off this evening with general manager of your Houston Texans, Nick Casario. Let's go. Joining us now in the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio, it's General Manager Nick Casario. Nick, good to see you. All right, coming off a win over the Tennessee Titans on the road prior to Christmas. Cold weather, team really responded well to the conditions, all of the above as they got the victory. Yeah, overall, did enough things, you know, to win a game. So, good collective team effort, made some plays all three phases of the game at different points. So, um, and a game, a couple of things we can clean up, you know, probably shouldn't have come down to the jump ball. But anyways, we're able to execute that situation. Mm-hmm. But overall, did enough good things in all three phases. So, um, you know, it's good to get a win and, you know, turn a page and get ready for a good Jacksonville team here this week. Nick, we'll talk about the Jags in a little bit. But I want to talk kind of about the, the procedure of how the one-hour delay went down. Is Was that a decision between the two teams, the NFL making a decision? How did that go down and how do you then disseminate that? Because you and I had talked, I think, at, what, 10 and then shortly thereafter, we find out there's a delay. How did that go down? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, about when we arrived at the stadium, there was some inkling that there was a possibility that could happen. There was some discussions. I think the mayor had made some comment, yeah. unbeknownst mm-hmm. to me, that about the game and yeah. how they were going to handle that. So um, we had a lot of dialogue with the league, which back and forth, and they said there was something that they're having some discussions. We'll keep you informed. So... What we try to do is just keep all the players in the locker room. Um, this way, they didn't go out, warm up, come back in, have to get yeah. restarted. So um, we had kn- uh, known ahead of time going into the game that the tarp was going to be on the field probably up until, call it 90 minutes or so, or you know, two hours before. Yeah. Yep. So we informed the players ahead of time so they were aware. So we kept the traffic uh, to a minimum going onto the field. And then as we got a little bit closer to the sort of the 90-minute mark, um, they have the 100-minute meeting, you know, where they go through some things from a, let's say, official standpoint. Yep. Um, and right around that time, um, we were informed that the game was going to be delayed an hour. So essentially what we did was treat it as a, a 1 o'clock central game as opposed to 12 o'clock. So the players just sort of restarted their clock a little bit. But for the most part, the players did a great job. We were able to keep everybody in the locker room so they didn't go out. There was a lot of stops and starts. Then we communicated when the start time was going to be, and then they kind of went ahead with their process. And, I mean, honestly, it didn't really make that much of a difference in the end. So Lovey was able to doze off during this time, Nick. He told us this. And I'm wondering if you were as well. And maybe Lovey should doze off before every game. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not a big sleeper before the game. So I'm usually doing something, watching some film or reading or doing something relative to preparation. So everybody has a different pattern of what they do before the game. So whatever whatever works for them, that's the best course of action. He and I were running away from the tarp. We're oh, doing yeah, our yeah. interview. They're taking the tarp off, and they're screaming. Yeah. I was like, He's, Nick's trying to talk. I'm walking with the phone. Yeah, we, we were running from the tarp at that particular moment. Uh, speaking of running, Nick, it was well documented that Derrick Henry had four 200-yard games against us in the last four games. And then he scores the 48-yard run, and I think a lot of people were thinking, oh, boy, here we go again. But from that point on, he only had about 70 yards on about 20-some carries, 20, 21 carries. 
what was key in stopping him the way that the defense was able to do on Saturday? Yeah, anytime you stop a, an offense or a good running team, it's team defense, so it's not one particular guy. Uh, one of the things we were able to do is create some penetration in the front, so it kind of forced the runner to sort of stop and start. Anytime the runner's got to stop and start, then you can allow more players to get to the ball, more uh, defenders to get to the ball. So after that big run, um, we did a pretty good job of just being in the right spot, making them kind of earn those yards, um, and the tackling you know, was up and down, but for the most part, we tackled well enough. Um, so it was really about collective defense, good team defense, and just being able to kind of take advantage of the opportunities and get some penetration with the front. There used to be a TV show called The Rookies, and I feel like we should name a segment of this interview every week, <laughs> The Rookies, because Jake Hansen gets the forced fumble off Derrick Henry, get picks out of Christian Harris and Petrie to end the game, among many other things. Can you speak to their progress? Yeah, those guys have all been very diligent uh, from the time they walked in the building. Um, I'd say uh, Jake's situation maybe off to a slower start because he was coming off the injury um, uh, last year, last fall, whatever it was, but worked really, really hard to kind of prepare himself. Um, and really, as the year has gone on, he's had an opportunity to play a little bit more. So we've had a few more guys, whether it's Hanson or Cashman, snap count was up a little bit mm -hmm. as well. Um, anytime he's on the field, he has a positive impact. Um, and then Jalen and Christian, since they've been on the field, Jalen's basically been there since day one. So we've talked about him extensively. Yeah. And he's been productive and he's had some good moments. He has some things that he needs to improve on. He'll tell you that. And he's you know going to make a point in the offseason to work on some of those things. And then Christian, once he was able to actually get on the field and play, starting the Vegas game each week, it's gotten incrementally better. Um, the one thing that shows up when he's on the field, you see his speed and athleticism, ability to close space, even going back to you know the week before the open field tackle that he made um, near the sideline. Yeah. So you're starting to see – I mean, we're at week 15 or 16, whatever it is. So, I mean, they're really not rookies anymore. They've played a full season for the most part, or a fair amount of games. Even Christian has played, what's this, 10 games now, 9, 10 games. So yeah. once you've played some football now, it's a matter of week to week. What do you need to do? Are you consistent with your performance in production? And what does the other team do? And what are some of the things that we need to do? You need to do individually and then collectively within the team. Nick, I'm going to put together one thing we're talking about and one thing that, that I know I love and I know you do, do, you do too, and that is tackling – and then looking at younger players coming from college to the NFL. Because tackling, it feels like, is something that you either do it or you can't. You can improve on it, I guess, a little bit. But either you do it or you can't. And I feel like it's one thing that not a lot of people talk about, and you know, all those analysts out there, about tackling and how important it ends up being for a defensive prospect. How do you kind of evaluate that? And can a guy get to you and not be a great tackler and then turn into a good tackler? Is that something that can happen for a guy? Yeah, there's a lot of things that go into tackling, and I would say that discussion. I would say any individual skill is something that you can improve and work on if you're committed to doing so. And tackling is about angles. It's about positioning. It's about understanding leverage. And there's a certain strength component that's involved as well to be able to wrap and drive and finish a play on contact. So all those things, you can work on those over the course of a season. Um, you can certainly improve. I'd say blitz pickup is another area, which if we were just going the other side of the ball, yeah. not a lot of running backs, I would say, in college, spend a lot of time on blitz pickup. I mean, that's just the reality right. of it because they're either handing them the ball 
or mm. the protection is such that, okay, the line goes right, you go left, and you basically block the end. There's a lot more components that go into it in terms of positioning, in terms of hand place, in terms of body position. So a lot of the fundamentals uh, as it pertains to the individual position, those are things that you can certainly improve and work on if you're committed to doing that. So it's about a mindset. It's about it's uh, about reps. It's about just a commitment of time, and it's commitment as an overall team. So any fundamental skill that there is as it pertains to your position, you can certainly improve over the course of however long it takes. Nick, the offseason prescription for these players, and you mentioned Petrie is going to work on some things in the offseason. Everybody's going to work on some things in the offseason. How do you get that data? Well, I know how you get it, but how do you keep it and get ready for that brief window of time where you and Lovey can meet with players as you send them off on their way before they come back in April? Yeah, I, mean, I think at the end of the year, it's really more of a recap and just, you know, talk to the players. You're not going to talk too much specifically. That's going to be more when they come back in the building in April, okay. whenever that is. And you have to be careful about how much dialogue you have with the players during the offseason. So there'll probably be some players that are in the building that are in here working out. So it's really not going to be about football. It's going to be about strength training. But each player is going to have things, okay, here's what happened. Here are some strengths. Here are some weaknesses. And the only, you know, we focus on – weaknesses a lot of times trying to turn weaknesses into strengths but you also if you have strengths you want to be able to maintain those strengths so it's kind of a balance of the two so you try to earmark maybe a few things that you can really focus on because really from February to April the players are essentially on their own and the focus will be on their training you can't sit around and do nothing so Mm -hmm. you need some time away their bodies need some time to heal you need some mental time away as well but once that two, three, four, five week, whatever it is, then it's back to football and you have to start your preparation for the next season. So we'll talk to them a little bit on the way out. But as far as pinpointing anything in particular, it's probably a little more difficult to do that. It's a little bit easier to do when they come back in the building and you start to build on some of the things that you're going to do during the course of the spring. In an eight-week time span, Tennessee Titans, I would say significantly different, but different from when we played them. Week 5 through week 17, Nick, the Jacksonville Jaguars, I don't think there's any secret. They are significantly different from when we played them in week 5 than what they're bringing here in week 17. As you've watched them, as you've studied them lately, how are they different and why are they different? What's the scouting report on the Jags? Yeah, I mean, they're a good football team. They're leading the division right now as it currently stands. So even going back to when we played them week 5 or 6 or whatever yeah. it was, we talked, they were certainly an improved football team when you look at the composition of the team, some of the players that they've added. And then over the last seven games, they're five and two. So they've played as well as any team here over the last however many weeks it's been, like you mentioned, yep. John. Um, offensively, um, Trevor's definitely uh, played played much better, uh, much more consistent. He's taken care of the football. Um, they've done some things offensively to kind of play to his strengths, and they've gotten good production from their skill players. Um, you know, Zay Jones, Kirk, and, and Ingram, uh, I think they have – each of them have over 60 receptions and 600 yards. It's you know, like the only duo or tri- uh, trio in the league to, to have that. So mm. they've good skill players. They've played well. Trevor's done a good job making good decisions. The ball's getting out of his hand pretty quickly. I'm going to say like 2.5 seconds or less. Ooh. So the ball's out, making quick decisions. Um, Doug, Mike McCoy, and Press have done a good job of kind of building some things. And then they've gotten really uh, more production out of ETN since they yeah. traded Robinson. So essentially they've traded Robinson, and ETN has assumed a more full-time role. They're really an 11 personnel team, so they got three receivers on the field. And then Ingram, he's a tight end, but he's really a receiver. So at any time, they got four receivers on the field with a good running back. So they're, they're fast, they're athletic, 
and the offensive line for the most part has kind of been in place. Um, Robinson's out, and that's probably the biggest change with Walker Little having to go in there at left tackle, but they've been pretty consistent across the front. So um, offensively, they play, they've played really well, pretty balanced. Trevor's done a good job of taking a ball. Um, and then defensively, they're kind of middle of the road statistically, but they've played well kind of when it matters. Um, and they've had a number of players that have played well. Olakon has played as well as any linebacker in the league. I think he leads a league in tackles or is in the top two or three. Um, so he's been really, really productive, very instinctive. Not a lot of uh, people talk about him, but he's as good a linebacker as in the league. Lloyd's done a good job, and actually have incorporated Muma in there a little bit as well. So it's kind of three for two at linebacker. Olakon's in there, but then they're kind of Lloyd to Muma. And then they've gotten good production on the edge. Josh Allen's a really good football player. Trayvon, you know, has been a good player. Um, and then probably one of the guys that's been one of their better players just got hurt there last week, Smoot, tearing yeah. his Achilles. Um, so they've been good on the edge. And then inside, they've gotten good production from Hamilton, from Fadakasi. Um, and in the secondary, uh, Campbell is really emerging, I'd say, is one of the best corners in the league. Does a lot of things well. He's long. He's fast. He's a good coverage player. He tackles. And then Jenkins has done a great job of causing a lot of disruptive mm -hmm. plays, created a number of different turnovers at the end of the game there against Dallas with the interception for a touchdown. So they've played, I would say, better. But on the whole, <laughs> they've just won more games. That's the same team with a lot of the same players, but they've just been able to finish games here a little bit, and that's why they're 5-2 and two over the last seven games. Well, is that the latest good lesson in you never know what's going to happen because they were 2-6, <laughs> and six, and once upon a time the Titans were 7-3, and three, and here you go. Jacksonville's a legit shot to win the division last game of the regular season. Yeah, it's a good example. The, the season's a long season. There's 17 games, and you kind of break it up into quarters a little bit. So first four games, all right, and then four to, four to eight, eight to 12. So you want to be playing your best kind of when it matters most. Um, Tennessee started fast, and they've kind of run into a little bit of roadblock here a little bit, but they're still in a position where, I mean, honestly, this game uh, this week is kind of different for a lot of teams. Yep. I don't want to say the game doesn't matter, but mm -hmm. the game that matters for the division is really next week in Tennessee um, against Jacksonville. But nonetheless – Jacksonville is kind of playing good football at the right time, um, and they've just been able to capitalize on some situations. Uh, their turnover, they've turned a ball over, I'm turning to force and takeaways and create a number of turnovers defensively, and that's kind of, and they haven't turned it over offensively. So you're starting to see those things kind of work together. So it's a long season. The season goes in spurts, and there's going to be ups and downs, and you're going to have to deal with those and kind of push through them and then get to a position where in December you're playing your best football to have a chance to win a division, which in Jacksonville's case, that's where they are. I guess a team like that, Nick, where Doug Peterson took over just this year, and Doug's been around the league for a while. You obviously coached, you know, you coached against him in the Super Bowl when he was with the Philadelphia Eagles. Do you see later in the year with a first-year coach like Doug, a team taking on the personality of what you expected from Doug Peterson? Is that, I mean, is that even important at all? But it feels like it's kind of rounded into shape that you're seeing this to be a Doug Peterson coach team that is just the Jaguars and it's not the Eagles, but it looks very similar. Yeah, Doug's a good play caller. Doug's a good offensive coach. Um, and I think what you see is teams kind of figure out what do they do well and how do they build the, the plan each week accordingly. Because essentially what you're trying to do is what do we need to do each week in order to have success against our opponent? So they've kind of figured out a certain way they want to play. Like we talked about, the move from ETN on a more full-time yeah, right. basis has made a big difference because of his versatility and his speed and his dynamic playmaking ability. Um, and they've gotten Trevor to play a certain way. So they've kind of figured out some things that have worked. Maybe have gone away from some things that they didn't have as much success with early on in the year. 
Um, same thing defensively. I would say they've played pretty solid defensively. They maybe aren't quite as exotic as they were early on. They've kind of figured out, okay, we're going to play a certain way and approach it accordingly. Um, and they've gotten a good result. So I think that's what you do over the course of the year. You really don't know what you have until maybe midway through the year and then figure out, all right, this really isn't working as well. All right, let's not worry about that. Let's focus on these things. And then each week, try to dress it up a little bit and accentuate the positives and the things that you're doing well. And they've done a good job of that. Nick, two quarterbacks. It's been interesting. I mean, as the play-by-play guy, i got to keep my head on a swivel here. <laughs> Who is it now? It's almost snap-to-snap in some situations. How do you think that's going? It's not racking up a lot of yards, but it seems to keep the other team off balance. And Davis, at the end of the game, really came through. Can you talk about that final drive where you took the lead? Yeah, really, it speaks to both players because it takes a certain mindset and a mentality. It's not an easy thing. You're on, you're off, you're on, you're off. Um, and just to kind of stay focused on what you have to do and then just focused on the next play. So um, I think there were a number of examples in that game of Davis made a number of really good throws. I mean, the in-cut the door set, the over-out the door yeah. set, the throw down the sideline there to Mare, and then the throw to Cookie there, you know, in the back mm-hmm. of the end zone. Those are all really good plays. So um, overall, those two have really handled it well. They're very professional. They've got a good working relationship with one another. So we can kind of figure out a way to squeeze out yards, however that is. Mm-hmm. Then that's what we're going to try to do. Ultimately, your job offensively is to move the, goal, move the ball and score points. So however we need to do that, then whatever formula that entails, then that's what we have to do okay i've been wondering this from the first time that we saw the two quarterback combination because I, you know how i am about logistics and procedure only one can have the green dot correct so if one of them can wear the green dot but they're both on the field like it's really curious to me like how like how can you get it with one guy's going in and davis is coming out driscoll's going in how do you kind of handle that with only one guy being able to wear that green dot nick yeah, there's different ways that you can get the communication in the huddle. Same thing on defense. Only one guy can wear the green right. dot. So if you want other players on the field at the same time or have another guy, then you figure out a way. So you can use hand signals. You can use wristband. Just making sure that you get the information in the play call to the huddle because really the, the signal caller's job is to disseminate the information to everybody else. So there's a way to do it. So sometimes you got to keep it moving a little bit. Just yeah. make sure you don't have two dots on the field at the same time because then we'll probably have a penalty or something to come up. So try to stay away from that. So as long as we get the information, as long as we get the play call from the sideline yeah. to the huddle and then the huddle to the line of scrimmage then we'll be okay have you ever seen anything like this before in the modern era really McLean was talking about the cowboys with tom landry and don meredith and what was it eddie lebaron, eddie LeBaron. they had a two quarterback system we haven't seen it much in the nfl yeah probably the closest thing you've seen is new orleans just with Taysom kind of in yeah. his role so i mean i would say this isn't like earth shattering news here yeah. so i mean <laughs> there's a handful of plays I mean, right. jeff's been on the field for you know what it was 12 15 plays a game so and we look at Taysom, how he's been used i mean Taysom's played anywhere from quarterback to running even with drew Brees. so right. just try to figure out how to deploy whatever resources you have and, mm-hmm. and use them accordingly so you know to this point you know it's we've gotten decent production out of it there's probably some things that we can maybe modify or do a little bit better to kind of get a little bit more out of it but overall i mean it's given us a few plays which ultimately that's the most important thing the ultimate was slash cordell stewart <laughs> yeah, going yeah back, going in. back in the day wednesday night tax act texas bowl this question isn't so much about the texas bowl nick it's just about bowl games in general they seemingly changed. Mark and I were talking about this before you walked in because you're seeing transfer portals, opt-outs, et cetera. Have bowl games, are bowl games just another 
linking the chain, so to speak? Are they any more important because some guys haven't opted out and they're playing? How do you kind of look at bowl games now versus maybe 10, 12 years ago, Nick? Yeah, I wouldn't say they're, they're any more important. It's just another game, another opportunity for players to go out there and perform. Maybe there's a player that's missed a year for myriad reasons, injuries or whatever it is, um, has an opportunity to play in that last game. So for the college programs, it's an opportunity to get a little more practice, kind of get ahead in the spring here a little bit. Yeah. There can be some players that are going to choose to play, some players that have the option to play, some players that opt out other players for whatever the reason so it's a case-by-case -case basis so i wouldn't say the bowl games take on any more significance i mean there's a significant number of them as we yeah. know um it's another opportunity to watch teams play against good competition um even with the semifinals um you know they're good football teams that are playing against one another but it's not as if they part of the evaluation you're all of a sudden going to say well this guy played really well in the bowl game right mm -hmm. let's eskew everything that you know we talked about <laughs> yeah, or saw right. previously it's just another opportunity to watch them play against a different competition Will you come down from your office and check it out in the tunnel or whatever? <laughs> Might wander down there for a few yeah. minutes to make my way. I've actually seen uh, Ole Miss play here um, a little bit. I uh, okay. haven't seen Texas Tech play. So might be an opportunity to go out there and just kind of, you know, look at some different guys. So we'll see how that goes. All right, New Year's Eve, Nick. So set the stage for me. Party into the wee hours, midnight <laughs> toast, all of it, the hats, everything. What are you going to do? I know where I put my <laughs> chips on this bed. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, I was actually joking. I must have eight to ten between wine, bourbon, whiskey, uh, Christmas presents sitting in my office. Mm -hmm. I have no idea what I'm going to do with them. Yeah. I probably won't consume them all New Year's Eve, but <laughs> I don't think I've seen the ball drop in, yeah. I don't know, 25, 30 years. So probably treat it like a normal Saturday night, wake up, and we'll be in 2023. I know that's really exciting, and that's what everybody wanted to hear. But I mean, that's Mark, what we I, expected to hear. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so it's New Year's. Do you come up with New Year's resolutions? Um, I know the answer to this, but I'm going to let you answer it anyways. <laughs> resolutions every day, any right, resolutions Nick? for 2023, like January for Okay, I'm going to do this. And try to have a better year this year than maybe okay. last right. year. So I All think right. that's the biggest thing. Excellent. Okay. Nick, thanks a lot for joining us. Good luck. Thanks, guys. I mean, I knew the answer to the question. I, I knew it, but I was going to ask you anyways because, you know, Nick's going to handle it in the best way possible and love him for it. All right. The Raiders, yes, an opponent on the Texas schedule, have made a decision with the quarterback. What kind of domino impact could that have on every team in the league? We'll talk about that next right here on Texans All Access. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. And coming up in, oh, I don't know, about an hour and a half, a little over an hour and a half, you've, you're going to have the Tax Act Texas Bowl right here, Ole Miss against Texas Tech. Brett Dolan doing play-by-play -play and some guy doing color. I think you. I know him. That would be you. It could be me. It could be me. You'll hear me for the next, uh, next few hours talking NFL football, college football, talking about it all and uh, looking forward to that. Mark Vandermeer joins me after we had our discussion with Nick Casario and related to Casario, one of Casario's longtime friends, Josh McDaniels, made a very interesting decision mm. today because the Las Vegas Raiders have benched Derek Carr. Yeah. Your gut reaction to that? Uh, surprised. Carr's a franchise player. They've invested a lot in him as an organization, and he's been around for a while. A lot of people forget it still feels new with yeah. Derek sometimes. Right. Maybe because the Raiders have reset a couple of times. But it was 2014, Johnny. We faced him in his second game. Week yeah. 2, 2014, oh. Bill O'Brien's Texans go out there. That was the game where Watt catches his first TD yep. pass from Ryan Fitzpatrick. It was Derek Carr on the other side. I remember late in that season, they beat somebody to get maybe their first or second win. It was a huge deal on a Thursday night game. And I just felt so happy for Derek getting that victory. 
Uh, I don't need to tell Derek Carr stories right now, but my gut reaction is, wow, you're going to start Jared Stidham. And obviously McDaniels has great familiarity with him from their days in New England together. I don't know how this is going to go. It must be pretty bad. They must feel like Carr's missing an awful lot. And I've seen it. We've all seen the tweets with the all 22 footage and Derek missing deep throws or misconnecting with receivers and who knows whose fault it is. But apparently they feel like a lot of it is Derek's and they're going to go for something different now that the season has slipped away from them. Yeah, it's unfortunate. How about that first win in 2014? Actually happened in late November, late-ish November. Mm-hmm. They beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah. That, that was the was... first win back in 2014. They beat them 24 to 20. In Oakland, right? In Oakland. And yeah. then they ended up winning uh, two more over the rest of the year. So they finished 3-3 three and three in 2014 and started kind of getting in the, uh, going in the right direction. What do you think the problem is, though? You've seen him plenty of times. We saw him, and we talk about this, in Mexico City that night I felt like, this guy's going to win Super Bowls. Yeah. That was season three. Mm-hmm. That was a primetime game in a strange land. You know, strange for NFL. You're both on the road, basically, although they had more fans there than the Texans because they have history there. And, you know, two Hall of Famer-type players or organization members who are Mexican-Americans and Tom Flores and Jim Pl- right. Jim Plunkett. Plunkett's not in the Hall of Fame. No. But mm-hmm. he had, you know, Hall of Fame moments winning two sure. Super Bowls. Mm-hmm. My Gosh. Anyway, but that night I felt like Carr's the man. He was such a leader. He made huge plays, huge throws, and the Texans were actually playing well that night, but he took it to him. I think there's something to be said for continuity. Mm-hmm. If you look at Derek Carr, when he had that year in 2016, and I can't remember off the top of my head who his offensive coordinator was, but he had an offensive coordinator that he loved. Yeah. And they clicked. And then the next year, Jack Del Rio fired that offensive coordinator. Hmm. And for whatever reason, he fired that offensive coordinator, brought in a new guy, didn't click. Gruden comes in. And you always felt like Gruden was looking for a reason in some sense to move Derek Carr aside. But year after year after year with Gruden he got better or so it seemed he was getting better he was understanding the offense he was doing more things Bill Musgrave Bill Musgrave mm-hmm. whose son by the way Luke Musgrave is a stud tight end Oregon State stud and guess who takes over the next year in that spot a guy who's under fire right now in Nashville was it Todd Downing Todd Downing oh yes okay so my point in all that is there's a level of continuity that just hasn't been there for Derek. He hasn't had where, you know, you think about Brady. Brady was in New England for, what, 20 years, right? Yeah. So it's Charlie Weiss first stretch, but Josh McDaniels is always on the staff. Then Josh McDaniels takes over. Then when McDaniels moves on, OB steps in for a few years. They go back to McDaniels. McDaniels then has the next how many ever years, uh, the, you know, almost the, rema- almost the remainder of, the remainder of his years in New and England. And the system remains the same. And the system remained the same the entire time for Brady. Yeah. I always think about Alex Smith in moments like this because Alex Smith was the number one pick in 2005? 2005. Yeah. And over the next five years or four or five years, he had five different offensive coordinators. Well, how and, and changing the offense at the same time. Right. So how do you find any continuity with that when you were when you're having that happen and in one of those years he ended up being hurt and he tore his ACL and so he finally got Jim Harbaugh in there and he had some consistency with Harbaugh and he was he was pretty good there was a coach that believed in him 
he believed in himself. He got his confidence back, and away you go. I think Derek does a lot on confidence, too. I mean, if Derek, in 2016, his confidence was through the roof, and then he gets hurt in that game against the Colts. But that night, I was with you. I'm like, this guy, wow, this is tough. Because we had a lead in that game for a long time. Yep. And then fourth quarter, bang, bang, bang. We're done. Three shots, and it's it's done. It's three. It's uh, one to the fullback down the seam, which is beautiful. Washington? No. No, it's a, it was Olamade. Or, I can't remember. Mm. Anyways, then he hit Amari Cooper on the sideline, who made people miss. He got in the end zone, and he had one other, and that kind of put us to sleep. But he just hasn't had continuity. The offense has changed every two or three years for him. And now you've got an offense that Josh McDaniels brings from New England that we know is incredibly complex. Yeah. Incredibly complex. And when you're in the league as long as Derek has, and you've seen a lot defensively um, or offensively, but you've seen different defensive schemes, and you're now trying to understand this offense, and you're trying to take all that knowledge and kind of put it together, and sometimes you get you get locked on the brain, so to speak. Uh, you get brain lock. And I've had that. Yeah, and so I think from that perspective, he's struggled a bit just trying to master all of that. Josh McDaniels said, starting Jared Stidham is an opportunity to evaluate a younger player. Well, my question would be, for what? Mm. For what? For for the future of the Raiders? Well, if that's the case, and Derek Carr is a, is a quarterback to be acquired, there's my question to you, Mark Vandermeer. How attractive is he to teams that need quarterbacks around the league? He's highly attractive, Johnny. There aren't going to be too many guys with his kind of prowess out there on the open market for free agency. Yeah. And they have it out in 2023. It's going to cost them some money, but they can get out of the deal. And Carr is extremely attractive. But any quarterback, any team, you need – we talked about this with Warren Moon last night. We talked about it with Andre on Monday. Fit. That word, it's got to be the right fit. He's got to be the right guy for whatever system you have. You have to figure that stuff out. And I know most coaches have faith in whatever they're doing. Obviously, even you know, even uh, Nathaniel Hackett had faith in what they were doing in Denver, but that didn't work out. Faith is only part of it. I'm just thinking that when I look at Baker Mayfield with Sean McVay, and maybe that's just a, an incredible combination of a guy who was number one pick in the draft and an amazing coach offensively, yep. and they come together and they're able to make some beautiful music together, two out of three games anyway. I don't know if that's going to happen with Derek Carr somewhere, but he'll be attractive. And the contract that it will take to get him will not be as much as some other guys. You know, he's going to make money, but it's not going to be a franchise-busting sum, right. and he's going to want to go to the right place for him. I think it's going to be interesting with Carr on the open market, and that's the assumption right now. If he's been benched, are you kidding? It's over. So in the last one, two, three, four, five weeks, he's thrown four, five, six, nine interceptions, and that's been the key. He threw three yeah. in the opener against the Chargers, which, look, mm. it's the first game in the new system. You're playing the Chargers. They're, they've yeah. got everybody rolling at yeah. that particular point. Okay, but then he was pretty consistent. I mean, he, he threw two interceptions in the next, like, eight weeks. And then all of a sudden, something broke down. Against the Seahawks, he threw two. Next week against the Chargers, he threw one. Against the Rams on that Thursday night game, he threw two. The Patriots, he threw one. And then against the Steelers the other night, he threw three. He just is – he's trending in a wrong direction. So I, I understand what the Raiders are doing, taking a look at Jared Stidham, because the Raiders got to know, look, do we need to look at this draft class and, and wonder whether it's done for Derek here in Las Vegas and we've got to look for the next – the next guy to follow him. We I don't, don't think it's Jared Stidham, but yeah. look, you get 
a couple games to evaluate. And if anybody's going to know, it's Josh McDaniels who drafted him in New England. You get a couple of games to evaluate, and good luck with that because you're facing the 49ers this weekend. <laughs> and you close out against the Kansas City Chiefs at home. And Kansas City is probably going to need that game. They're going to wonder if they can still grab the top seed with that game. With a victory against the Raiders, they'll need help to do it, but it's certainly possible. How about that, Johnny? You're facing two really tough teams with Jarrett Stidham. Now, you're out of it right now at 6-9, and nine, right? So, and you watch the Chargers. This is the team that you edged out for the postseason bid last year yep. where you could have tied and both went, but they won the game. The Raiders did, and the Chargers stayed home. The Raiders went. And now there you are with a new head coach. So, yeah, McDaniels has to do what he thinks is right to get the team ready for next year because he's not going anywhere after one year. So we'll see how that goes. But, man, the Raiders organization, they fired Del Rio after – I think it was six and ten, and then they go to Gruden, and it's not any better for three years, right. right? And I know Gruden, other circumstances led to his departure, and maybe it was starting to come around, but we still don't know how last year would have finished up if Gruden had stayed. You know, they really yeah, had absolutely. something. They had something special going chemistry-wise. Now, yes. no guarantee that that was going to work out in the future. They went with Josh McDaniels, but I find it really interesting, man. You know, Mark Davis has to be scratching his head over some of the moves he's made and them not working, like a lot of franchises. I mean, look, everybody's trying their best here, but it doesn't work out for but a few. I think the Gruden, hmm, not experiment, but going back to Gruden, Gruden 2.0 yeah. with the Raiders, I thought was going to go. Thought it was gonna be better. I felt like Gruden and Carr, I thought that was gonna work out after you know the first year is like, eh, eh, I don't know. Second year, I'm like, okay, it's starting to come together. And I felt like the third year, okay, it's happening. And of course, then the emails get released, and you know, it you know, Gruden is is shown the door at that point. And I feel bad for Derek because he finishes that season, but then McDaniels comes in, it's a whole new offense, and uh, away you go. Robert Mays tweeted this this afternoon. He said Feels like we're getting closer and closer to the Raiders outright releasing Derek Carr right after the season. And whatever you think of Derek Carr, quarterbacks as good as Derek Carr very rarely just become available for no draft capital mm -hmm. before their late 30s, mm -hmm. which is absolutely dead on. You, you never, you never see it. You absolutely never see it. But again, you go back, you go back to fit. I Where's I'm, he going to fit? I have a place. But I don't know how the coaching staff is going to change after the Colts fired Frank Reich, and that's Indianapolis. Ooh. Oh, no. They can't do it, Johnny. It's going to be another Matt Ryan kind of thing to the fan base. To the fan base, And it, maybe it works so. out that way. I'll give you a spot. How about this? What if – all right, I'm worried, oh. about, I'm worried about Tua because the concussion, yep. the multiple concussions, this is a problem, and they got to figure it out. Because you get one more, and I think that's it. You I mean, know, you're CJ Fedorowitz at yeah, that yeah. point. You just have exactly. to hang it up and yeah. say, I can't do this anymore, which is so sad from a football standpoint, a life standpoint. Look, he'll be set for life financially, but you know what I'm saying. Right. We're talking about this kind of thing here, playing the game you love and being a, an awesome pro and all of that. Boy, Carr's numbers, 60%, 61% completions. This year yards. is career. That's his. Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Let me. All right, let me pull it up. Maybe I'm wrong here. Maybe I'm wrong. All right. So in 2022, yeah, 61 percent, 24 touchdowns, 14 picks. That's a lot of picks. Uh, last year, 
He had 14 picks. That's a lot of picks, all right? Double-digit picks for a franchise supreme player, not good. But they made the postseason last year. He only threw 23 touchdown passes. He actually has more this year. I, you know, I, I'm i going to go back to Del Rio for a moment. They win a bunch of games. They have double-digit wins. Then they go 6-10. and 10. They get Gruden in, mm-hmm. and then Gruden doesn't have a winning season for one, two, three, four years. Wow. Wow. You know, that's not really acceptable. <laughs> it is not acceptable. So, so the Dolphins make a lot of the Dolphins make sense. If, I feel like Tua Josh McDaniel go. would be a good now keep in mind it's Josh McDaniels in Las Vegas. Right. It is Mike McDaniel yeah, in yeah. Miami. Yeah, thank you. So just making that, that clear again. Uh, that I, would be a pretty interesting spot. Derek Carr question. with Tyreek and Jalen. I'll give you another if question. If Tua if again, if Tua is the concussions become an issue or continue to become an issue. Cars on the bench for the next two games. And yes. It's free. Baker Mayfield's playing, and he continues to light it up oh, with McVay, man. and he's a free agent. Which guy is going to be more attractive on the open market? Mayfield coming off the McVay cleansing or Carr coming off the benching in Vegas? <sighs> I think people... You got, these new, you got these new mics in studio, and so we've got to sit next to the mic. We can't... You know, we used to have the headsets. I kind of sit back. And I'm <laughs> sitting back and I'm thinking. I'm like, I, you're off mic. I, I don't know. I don't know what I would do. I Baker sounds really attractive, but we know Baker's got the warts. Baker has. Yeah. Oh man. And Carr doesn't really have warts. He doesn't really have warts. Guy. I just think that the confidence has been. I think his confidence has been shot. I, honestly, I think he just needs a new. He needs a new location. Just yeah. a new location, get away from the Raiders organization, just get out of there, get to something. The problem is, is if a team is looking for a quarterback, it's not a stable organization. You want a hot take? You ready for Okay. The, you ready for total heat? Okay, sizzle fires. Here I'm we go. Bring it. 49ers. Oh! Oh, it's so <laughs> funny you said that because as we were starting, and as I asked you what teams made sense, that's the team that came to mind. I think a lot of quarterbacks make sense in San Francisco. You could airlift. <laughs> I was on a show. That's the team that came to mind was the 49ers for me. I was on a show. We were talking about quarterbacks, and I said, look, Brock Purdy might be a really nice quarterback, and he probably is. That's great. Uh, We were talking about our situation, but the 49ers are low dead, right? right? We all agree with that. And they were asking me about Mills, and I said, if you airlifted Mills and dropped him into the 49er huddle, look, I'm not saying he's going to win a Super Bowl, but I think Mills would look a lot better you know, with that kind of talent and that kind of organization around him from where they are now. I I want this organization to get to where they are, and I'm yep. hoping they do, and I have confidence in all of that. But that's beside the point of the current situation, which is, you know, you're on a two-win team right now. And that's another thing. We've got a narrative, potential narrative changing two games in front of us here. If This is true. If Mills continues to play as well as he did on that last drive. Look, I know it's one drive. But that was a heck of a drive. Yeah, it was. So let's see if that kind of thing can continue. What if he comes out of the gate and just bang, bang, bang against the Jaguars and all of a sudden, hey, wait a minute, and you're able to beat the Jags? Let me give you a spot. Hmm? All four of these teams have been pretty darn good. What about the New York football giants? For Carr. For Carr. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. I uh, mean, you know, Daniel Jones, they didn't, ta- they, didn't, uh, they didn't extend him on a fifth-year option. Derek Carr. I mean, you have to get him a weapon, though. I mean, you've got to add to the weapons, the weaponry. Uh, they drafted Kadarius Tony. They traded him to the Kansas City Chiefs. You got. You would have to add a piece. I'm not saying you got to get Devontae Adams, but you'd have to add another piece. But the offensive line got better. 
with Evan Neal on one side and Andrew, Andrew Thomas has evolved, uh, has evolved into one of the best uh, tackles in the league. Interior, they'd have to fix a little bit, but yes, well, we don't know what they're going to do with Saquon. Right. We don't know about that, but in that vision, you've got to have you got to have a gunslinger in some sense. He might be the guy. Also, what about Washington? Who that's, knows what happens with Wentz and Heineke? I mean, and now they've got weapons. They do have weapons, and despite what we said about Indy, that does remain an option. Yes, right. And who knows? Maybe here. Who knows, Johnny? There's a lot to be considered here. You know, it's funny because. It's like relationship status on Facebook, right? Sometimes you have that option of it's complicated. Yeah. If you look at quarterback status on various teams, it's hard to explain in one word or two or one sentence even. You could just put it's complicated. The New York Jets, it's complicated, right? Washington, it's complicated. Yes, there are a lot so. of it's complicated out there with the quarterback status Let me give you another of one. many teams. Let me give you another one. Mm -hmm. They've got an unbelievable young tight end. They drafted a 6'4", 215-pound wide receiver who's a super stud. The running game is actually better than you think. And Arthur Smith can coach offensive football. What about the Atlanta Falcons? It's complicated. We just drafted <laughs> Desmond Ritter. Mariota, I'm sure you can get out of that deal. Yeah, but you don't have to worry about Mariota's not the issue. It's how do, do they you believe in Desmond Ritter? How do they feel about Ritter? Right. Or do they go get a Derek Carr or whoever the heck is out there? Mayfield. I don't know. Derek Carr with Arthur Smith in Atlanta could be could be kind of interesting. Yeah. I don't yeah. think the Atlanta people would love it, but I think he would make them. They're a 5 and 10 football team. They've been close in a couple of weeks. Carr would start pushing that team over the top. If would start. If New Orleans comes into play, is that just the feel of like, oh, we're getting Andy Dalton again? Oh, may, maybe. It might feel like that, but Carr is, at this point, at this mm -hmm. point, at this Carr point is probably sure. about four or five times the quarterback that Andy is. All right, that's a discussion that we are going to – table for now because we're going to come back to that at the end of the season for sure because Derek Carr has been benched in Las Vegas speaking of that around the NFL is next we'll see what's going on with the Texans and the Jaguars injury report and other news in the NFL next right here in Texas All Access welcome back to this segment of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans radio studio I'm John Harris football analyst sideline reporter and let's dive into the injury report Texans held a walkthrough on Wednesday if you remember the see you next Wednesday in a locker room. Well, there was a walkthrough today. But if they did have a practice, three players would not have played. And, oh, boy. Titus Howard, Jimmy Morrissey, MJ Stewart, those three with concussions. Teague Quatoriano dealing with a thigh. They would not have participated. But Kenny Green, Justin McCray, expected to get a little bit more time back in practice. That's good. Here's one. The Jaguars did practice, and Trevor Lawrence did not. Keep an eye on that one. This week, he's the biggest name of those that did not participate. Now, there's a big game in AFC South seemingly on Thursday night, and it includes the Tennessee Titans. Well, it includes a lot of the Tennessee Titans, but not a lot of them that we're going to see. Derrick Henry is listed as doubtful. Nah, he's not going to play. Also, this says doubtful Christian Fulton. He's not going to play more than likely. Danico Autry, this says doubtful. He's more than likely not going to play. Dylan Cole, Zach Cunningham, Bud Dupree, Imani Hooker, Nicholas petit Frere, Ryan Tannehill, Josh Thompson, and Jeffrey Simmons. Out, 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 out. Did I get everybody? Throw in Autry, Fulton, and Henry, and you're going to get a team mailing it in on Thursday night, which you need to get guys healthy to be able to go to Jacksonville. The game means nothing in the AFC South standings. 
Tennessee has to be ready to play the Jaguars in Week 18, and they're going to do it by getting some guys some rest. All right, we get back. Let's go, man, behind the mics. Yes, my man Frank Frangie joins Mark Vandermeer next right here on Texans All Access. We got one hour down, one hour left to go right here on a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. It's time to go man behind the mics with two guys that I know very well. One of my closest friends, obviously, Mark Vandermeer, but a guy that I've known, well, my entire adult life, basically. I got down to Jacksonville when I was 22 years old, and I started listening to a guy named Frank Frangie on the radio. And listening to Frank, he was part of my inspiration to want to get in the sports radio business. And, well, here you go. Mark Vandermeer. With Frank Frangie, the play-by-play voice of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Take a listen. Joining us now on Texans Radio, it's voice of the Jacksonville Jaguars, Frank Frangie. Frank, always a pleasure to visit. How's it been going? And I know what the answer is. Very well. Much better than last time. Tell me. Mark, great to be with you. Merry Christmas to you and uh, all the folks in Houston. And yeah, yeah, it's much better. It's We've waited a long time for a run like this of sorts, Mark, as you know. And look, we've won five out of seven. That doesn't happen around here much. And Trevor Lawrence is playing at a really good level. And I think those two things are, it's not a coincidence they're happening together. Uh, the Jags are playing pretty well right now. So these are good times. There's a lot left to do. Two important games left for this football team. But yeah, right now, uh, the Jags have been playing pretty well. All right. Is it Lawrence or is it other things? I know it's a team game, Frank, but you tell me the biggest reason why the Jaguars have turned it around so swiftly. I really believe, and Mark, you and I have had this talk a thousand times. If you get coach and quarterback figured out in this league, you're on to big things, whether you're Belichick and Brady or Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes or you or Sean Payton and Drew Brees. And I'm not saying Trevor's those guys. But when you get quarterback and coach figured out, you're headed in the right direction. I'm a big believer that as is, is, is difficult as he could be to deal with at times when Bill O'Brien and Deshaun Watson had it going there, you guys are winning divisions every year. Now, part of that was a great defense, and J.J. Watt, Whitney Merciless, and, and a bunch of great defensive players. I get that. But when you get coaching quarterback kind of figured out, I think that's when teams win. So I think it's that. I think more, more than anything else, the defense has not played well this year. They've been up and down. But the offense has been very good, and Trevor's better every week. Mark, in the last seven weeks, he's got 14 touchdowns and one pick. Mm. That's why they've won five out of seven games. He's really played well of late. He really has. Frank Frangi, voice of the Jacksonville Jaguars, with us. Well, what else? What other things besides Lawrence's improved play can you point to, Frank? You mentioned the defense isn't exactly there yet, but they are yeah. winning games. So what do you think overall, other than Lawrence? I, yeah, I think the passing game overall has been good. Tra, uh, Travis Etienne, the running back, he went over 1,000 yards last week. And really, Mark, he's a rookie, if you think about it. He was a rookie last year, but had the Liz Frank injury, didn't play. So it's really his rookie year. He's been very good. They've protected Trevor. And remember, they brought in three brand-new receivers in free agency, and all have been very good. Christian Kirk, uh, Zay Jones, the tight end, Evan Ingram. Evan's about to have a, the best tight end receiving year in, in franchise history. He's got he needs six yards for that. Uh, Christian Kirk and Zay Jones. Zay Jones already has career highs. So I think the passing game, first and foremost. I think Travis Etienne uh, has been a good running back. Defensively, I'm telling you, they've struggled. But I think they figured out who they are. They're more of a zone team, it looks like now. They don't play as much man. They keep stuff in front of them. They have a rush to pass. Well, they've been pretty good against the run, better against the run than the pass. So there's still some holes defensively. But I'm telling you, it's been that passing game. It's been the rhythm. Here's another thing, too. As good a play caller as Doug Peterson is, Mark, he's a great culture setter, too. He, he's a leader. And I think the guys trust him. You know, it was a disaster here last year. You know that with Urban Meyer. It just didn't work. And he had to regain those guys' trust. You got young guys. The, the, the only way they know, all they know is what they saw last year. 
and he had to kind of convince him that's not how you do it. And so uh, it, it's been a it's been a really fun year, certainly a fun last a month and a half for this team. Well, it's funny because you know, walking up to the press box or to the press box elevator, you walk by the football offices, and I guess it's near the locker room area, whatever, where you see stuff on the walls and one of the things is win the division and that's a daily message to the players and at the time I thought you know it's October 9th I'm thinking ha well here you are with a chance to win the division tell me what's your favorite win what do you think is the big win so far was it the Tennessee win the Cowboy win you tell me Frank yeah I don't think it's even close this team hasn't won in this season hasn't swept the Titans since 06 it's been 16 years since they swept them they hadn't won in, in Tennessee since 13. I think winning in Nashville, quieting the Nashville crowd, you know how much respect I have for that, that Titans organization. I think they do things the right way. I think Mike Brable's a really good coach. They play with a toughness about them. Uh, they run the football with Derrick Henry. I've got great respect for the Titans. And I think to go win against a team that has been that good in this division, a place you haven't won since 2013, now a chance to sweep a team you haven't swept since 2006, I think it was that one. Now, in terms of best game, that Dallas game a few weeks ago was unbelievable. Mm. It ended, as you know, on a pick six in overtime. You don't get that very often, and the place was electric. But in terms of the win that I think turned the tape, turned the tide, if you will, to cliche, but the win that kind of changed things, I think was that win in Nashville, Mark. This team, there was just something special. You could feel it on the plane back. You could feel it when you were around them. Mm. If they turned the corner at all, and I don't know if they've turned the corner yet. It's a, it, this thing's just starting. But, the, but if things changed, that was the game that kind of signified it. It really was. Frank Frangie, voice of the Jacksonville Jaguars with us. What about the game against New York last Thursday night on the road? You have last year's number one and number two pick going at it at quarterback. I know Wilson's been in a different situation. They bring him back into the fold because they have to. But I thought that was a real nice take-care-of-business victory on the road against a team that really needed the game badly. Yeah, no, I think you're right, and, and I agree with you. Take care of business is the right phrase for that game. And I think it proves, Mark, that they can win that way. You know, you know we know now that Trevor can, can throw three or four touchdowns and pass for 300 yards and, and can win shootouts. But can you win a game when it's raining the whole game and, and, and it's hard to grip the ball and there's not going to be a lot of offense and the winning team is going to be in the teens and the losing team might be in single digits? Can you win that kind of game? Because they hadn't been that kind of a team. That kind of a team is a – as a run-first team, and they're not that. So they proved they could win a game a different way. And look, there's something to be said when you're when you're a team that's where the Jags are. You haven't played a lot of nationally televised games. You know, you know everyone's watching. Even if it was an ugly game and rain and whatnot, it's still a little different paradigm for this group. So I thought that game was significant for all those reasons. Frank, let's talk about the division here. What do you make of what the Titans are going through right now, having lost five in a row going into the Thursday nighter? Yeah, in fairness to that franchise, they've had so many guys hurt, not the least of which is Tannehill, who now looks like he's out for the year. They've had so many guys hurt. You you saw them last week. They're still a tough-nosed team. They're still a, a physical team. They know how to play. Again, they play football the right way. They're just so beat up right now. So what you have in the league really is, a, in my opinion, Mark, one beat-up team and three teams that are trying to rebuild. The Jags are trying to rebuild. It's the first year under Doug Peterson, second year under – uh, with Trevor Lawrence as the quarterback. From afar, it looks like that's kind of where the Texans are. The Texans, I think the Texans are going to rebuild. They've got a bunch of draft picks. Uh, I think the Texans are way better than a team that's won twice. They're in every game. So I think it's a, a damn good two-win team, if such a thing exists. 
And I don't think the Colts know where to go yet. I, we, you don't know who their coach is going to be next year. You don't know who their quarterback is going to be. So really, it's it's one team that's very injured, and three teams that are trying to rebuild. And I think that's why. And that's why the division winner is going to have seven or eight wins or eight or nine wins. And I think that's the reason is this division is going to find itself. It's not always going to be this way. The the Texans have proven how good they can be. They won a lot of divisions a lot of years in a row. I've got great respect for the Titans, and I think the Colts will figure it out too. I still think it's going to be a good division. But right now it's not a great division because you've got a lot of rebuilding teams. Frank Frangie, voice of the Jaguars, with us. Frank, what's the best team you've seen so far this year? You played Philadelphia, Dallas, the Chiefs. What's the best team that the Jaguars have faced, in your opinion? I think at Kansas City, I think the Jags played a really good game that day, Mark, and lost by 10. That was other than that game against Detroit where it just got to go. Every team gets a stinker. Uh, our game at Detroit was the stinker. But other than that game at Detroit, uh, the Jags have been in every game. The only one they lost by double digits other than that one was the Kansas City game, and it was by 10. I think the Chiefs are the team to be. Now, I haven't seen the Bills this year, but I have seen the Eagles. That game was kind of funky, too. It was the fourth game of the year. Jags were 2-1 and one when they went up there, and that was another one of those rain games that you really couldn't tell. But I would say Kansas City's the best team. They're just so good. They know how to play. Mahomes is so good. Andy Reid's such a veteran. They've got a veteran defensive coordinator. They got all the ingredients. If you look at a team that's got a really good play caller, older veteran coordinator, uh, quarterback who's all the rage, that's that's the equation, Mark. Don't you think? And and I think they've got that part figured out. Frank, how's the fan base reacting to this surge by the Jaguars? They've been so patient, and I got to imagine yeah. they're buying in, or are they really hesitant to buy in? No, you're right. Uh, they're over the moon. They've waited so long. And remember now, Mark, and you know, you, you and I have had this talk. You, you know our area. Mm-hmm. Our buddy John Harris lived here. You, you, know, you know this city well. There are, there's no basketball. There's no baseball. There's no hockey. This is what this city has. This, we're kind of like Buffalo in that regard. This is it. The Jags are what they have. Yeah, there's some Gator fans and Seminole fans and a lot of Georgia fans. They're pretty happy these days. But what this city has is the Jaguars. And it looks like for the first time in a long time, Maybe the Jags have some things figured out. You know, that 17 team was really good. Uh, it, was, it was one bad call away from going to the Super Bowl. But it was still a team that was uh, – some of those guys were more about me than they were about the team. You know the guys were on that team. And, I, and it just it was, it was a chemistry that was going to have a tough time working over the long haul. It wasn't sustainable. This looks like it is. Now, again, it, it's early. It's still a team that's 7-8. and eight. I'm not, I don't want to make it out like they're 12-3. They're, they're and three. But you can see some things here, and it looks like it's sustainable. So I think the fan base is over the moon. I, I think uh, it was rocking for that Dallas game. It's going to really be rocking when the Titans come in here a week from Sunday or, or Saturday, whenever they decide to play that game. So right now, Mark, it, this fan base is excited. They waited a long time, man. These people have waited a long time for something that feels like this field. It's not there yet, but it feels like it could be. Well, it's been a long time coming, as you say, Frank. And you tell me, because you've lived through all of this stuff, I look at teams that – are searching for the recipe quarterback coach. And let's talk about quarterback here. You know, you look at the Titans, and they had Vince Young and Jake Locker and Marcus Mariota, and none of those guys really worked out the way they needed him to. And the Jaguars with Bortles and Blaine Gabbert. Now you have Trevor Lawrence, and it looks very good in year two here. But where are you at with the building process of NFL teams and how you got to get it done? Do you keep trying to take that quarterback, or is there another way to do it in your opinion? I think coaching quarterback, I, that's why That's why people try so hard to get them. That's why they get drafted so high. That's why we got a guy, Anthony Richardson, here at Florida that, that, that came out this year. He was he was really average, Mark. You know, you see college football. You're a college football guy. He was a pretty average player. They were 6-6. Six and six. 
but he's 6'4", 240. He's a 4'5 guy. He can throw it from here to Las Vegas, and for that reason, he's going to go in the first round. I think teams need quarterbacks so badly that I think it's got to start with a coach who builds a culture, and it's got to start with a quarterback. If you look around the league, there's not much, there's not many teams left now that win any other way. Now, quarterbacks play different ways. Lamar Jackson wins different ways than Tom Brady won, but I think you've got to have quarterback, and I think if you don't have that, I think you have to build. As for this team, they've got a chance now to get built. They, they've got some young defensive players. They've still got to improve the pass rush. That's been disappointing this year. Uh, they've got more. They need more cornerbacks. They haven't covered this year. But this team is starting to build that thing. I, I think it really is. I, I think, and again, you talk about the division, the other three, the three opponents, and you can speak to this for Houston better than I can, but I think you've got three teams who aren't quite sure where they are at quarterback. Uh, Davis Mills has been terrific for a while, but he's not playing now. The, the, the Titans, I don't think uh, Malik Willis might be their guy, but I don't know that he is. And I don't think the Colts have any idea who their guy is. So, so it's an interesting division. It goes up and down, doesn't it? This is a division mm-hmm. that had, Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck. This is a division that had Deshaun Watson all those years. Uh, Tannehill's been playing great for the Titans most recently, and back in the day they had Steve McNair. So it's been a division with good quarterbacks, but right now it's a division that, other than the Jags, I don't think the other teams know who their quarterback is going to be, which makes it a very interesting next two or three years. All right, I have to ask you a college football question, Frank. Frank Frangie, yeah. voice of the Jacksonville Jaguars with us. You're in Gator country, and so many people follow college <clears throat> football so closely where you are and you do a daily talk show in Jacksonville NIL good or bad thing. And where is it going with all the transfer portal stuff and NIL deals being thrown around? And, you know, Johnny and I were talking about, do guys actually start staying in school because they get an increase in their NIL deal to give it one more shot? Is that going to be a reality here? If it's not already your thoughts on the overall situation? Well, number one, NIL, is it good or bad? NIL is a good thing that they are doing badly. That's mm-hmm. the problem. I think I told you this before. My, my analogy is if, if the government decided that the speed limits were wrong, and so they took down all those 75-mile-an-hour speed limit signs, and they're going to put up new ones, they might get it right eventually. But until they put the new ones up, everyone's going to drive 120 miles an hour because everyone wants, wants to get there, right? Well, I think that's what's happened. They think they've taken the speed limit signs down but they haven't put up any new ones. So nobody really knows the rules now. So I think it's totally out of hand. It was never intended to be a recruiting inducement. And that's what it's become. And obviously an hour and a half from where you live is the guy that did it the most. And that's Jimbo Fisher, you know, mm. and that, and, and it backfired on him a little bit this year, but, but the reality is the, the real reality is it's being used as a, a recruiting inducement. I don't think that's a good thing. And I think they've got to get some guardrails, Mark. I think at some point they have, to. as for the transfer portal, Imagine the NFL. Think about this for a second. Imagine the NFL if there were only one-year contracts. Think about that for a second, Mark. If there's only one-year contracts in the league, so you can't have more than a one-year contract. Well, then everybody's a free agent every year, right? Everybody is a free agent every year, and that's what college football is. There's one-year scholarships, and and people are poaching players all the time. It's a mess right now. I I see again, the the teams that know how to do it best are still going to be the best teams. But uh, right now, right now, the NIL and transfer portal has changed college football, and it's almost unrecognizable to what we once knew it really is. Frank, great stuff as always. I always enjoy the visits and look forward to seeing you on Sunday. Look forward to seeing you, Mark. It'll be fun. Take care, man. Yes, it will be a lot of fun on Sunday, New Year's Day 2023, as Texans take on the Jacksonville Jaguars. And they will take on the Jaguars with running back Royce Freeman, Toting the Rock. Well, he had a chance to catch up with DP Sidhu with a little deep slant interview of the week right here on Texans All Access.
It's time for the SLB Stats Challenge, brought to you by our good friends at SLB. Take the SLB Stats Challenge at HoustonTexans.com. The number is 78. 78 is your stat. What is that number? Derrick Henry last week against the Texans ran the ball 23 times. 426 yards. And you go, well, wait a second. Where do you get 78 out of that? Well, he had one run of 48 yards. That was a touchdown run. It was the first touchdown of the day. And it was the first touchdown day for the Titans. And it looked like it was going to be another Derrick Henry 200-yard day. Oh, my gosh. Are we going to go through this again? Yet, 22 other carries. Derrick Henry was held to 78 yards. That's the best outing they've had against him since 2018. I think in 2019, he even had like 80-something yards uh, in that game against the Texans on December 15th, 2019, when the Texans won that game. And that went a long way to clinching the division in 2019. So the Texans the other day, 22 carries, 78 yards for Henry. Finally got off that 200-yard game schneid, if you will, and got it done. And that is your SOB Stats Challenge for this evening. All right, let's talk about our running back here, and that's Royce Freeman. He sat down with DP Sitter for a little Deep Slant interview of the week. Deepy, take it away. It's the Deep Slant 101 presented by Xfinity. My guest this week, running back Royce Freeman, who I, I love the Twitter handle, Rolls Royce 28. Obviously, oh. you can't have 28 yeah. this year with Rex, <laughs> but are you pretty active on social media? Not really, honestly. I mean, as a recent, I just use it to catch up on news and, and see, you know, what's going on. All right, so you've gotten into the game the last few games with Damian Pierce on IR, and I think a lot of people are surprised with the style of running that you bring to the field, you're averaging 5.5 yards per carry. Do you think that you've surprised people, or is this who you've been all along? You just haven't had a chance to really get it out there. Yeah, I think it's more of the latter. I don't really worry too much about you know outside opinions and and all those things, but I'm confident in myself and my abilities. You know, just waiting for the opportunity and um, it presenting itself. Just going out there trying to make the most of that, and you know, bring different assets of my game onto the field and help the team win. What about your, the assets of your game? What are you know? What are some aspects of your ability as a running back that you think you really bring to the ground game? Yeah, I mean, being a, a bigger back, as they probably would say, I mean, definitely that physicality and downhill uh, running style. But um, my earlier parts of my career, I was also a third down back and played a lot of special teams uh, when I was in Denver. So having that background um, makes me kind of versatile, so I can play in the kicking game and as well stay on the field on third downs, blitz pickups, and then go out there and, and catch passes as well. You really are the definition of the next man up. I mean, last year we saw with Carolina, you were there when Christian McCaffrey was injured. Yep. He comes back, they release you, the Texans scoop you up, mm -hmm. and then you did a lot of things for the ground game last year. This year you've spent most of the season on practice squad. What's yep. the last year and this year been like for you? You were a third-round pick to Denver, so... Yeah. A lot of stability early on in your career, and mm -hmm. then the last two seasons, uh, a little bit more up in the air. But what is that like for you as a player? Yeah, it's been different for me and for my family, you know, just seeing the difference between, you know, how I started my career and where I am currently. But like I said, I'm, I'm confident in my abilities, you know, and that's why when I go out there, I try to make the most of, you know, the opportunities I do get. What I do feel that helps me is that versatility. Like I mentioned earlier, all the things that I can do, I can get plugged into different places and being a vet as well, having that knowledge and being able to pick up offenses quickly. I think that helps out a lot. But um, being here last year, being able to be plugged into the system and play right away when they needed me, uh, I think definitely helped out. Just to have that, the transition from last year to this year, you've got the consistency yes. 
playbook changes a little bit, but not too much really yeah. as far as you're concerned? Yeah, not too much. I mean, then some of the coaches, as far as a lot of them actually, uh, a lot of familiarity with them, um, with them returning as well. So I feel like at the end of last year, having that exposure definitely helped me. All right. So one thing that did change for you in the offseason, you became a dad. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, how is it being different being a dad and playing football? It is a little different. I don't know. I just uh, my family, my wife and my son, seeing them at the games uh, when they do come. It's it's amazing. It's like a feeling like no other. Uh, my little man, he doesn't really know too much of what's going on right now. But um, looking back, when he does get older, being able to show him those memories, I mean, it's just irreplaceable, you know, and. I mean, like I said, I, I just wouldn't have it any other way. Okay, so your son was born what month? Uh, July. July. So he's mm-hmm. not even a year old yet. No. It's, it's a lot like J.J. Watt, who announced his retirement. Last home game for him, first home game for his baby. I mm-hmm. imagine that's just such a special feeling to see your to see your baby at the game, even if he doesn't know what it is. No, yeah, no, it definitely is a special, a special feeling. Like I said, like, because when he does get older and he sees those memories um, that he, you know, just can't remember, he'll, he'll have just like a moment of like, wow, you know, and then, and, you know, for my wife and I, those are special for us living in the moment to be able to do those things with him because as my career advances and, and, you know, our family advances as well, just having those memories are are just like, like I said, just uh, irreplaceable. During a My Cause, My Cleats, you posted about sickle cell awareness, mm-hmm. and you put it out there that your son was diagnosed just a few days after he was born. So, yeah. you know, how does that, how, how did that affect you and your family, and, and how is your son now? He, he's great. He's in great health. I mean, we've been able to have contact with a lot of great medical staff, being in the medical center, also uh, having familiarity with it, um, with the Texan staff, just education-wise. And my wife has definitely done a great job as far as like educating me on things as well, as far as the research and, you know, the progress is with sickle cell disease and just making sure that we're on top of it, especially him being so young, you know, the seasons changing with exposure to different things sure. and how we go about our day to day. It's it's different. But for the most part, I, I think that he is our, our blessing, our little blessing and, you know, just a excited to you know care for him as as we go forward and give him the best uh most optimal health i imagine it just puts things in perspective i mean you go through so many hardships in football but then once you have a baby and then you go through something like that it probably just i would i don't want to say dims like all the other hardships like when it comes to football Mm -hmm. but i imagine just puts it in perspective yeah like you said just puts in perspective i mean you know I always like to say somebody's having a worse day than you. Like sometimes when you have a, you're having a down moment, but our goal is to you know eventually help build more exposure for sickle cell disease and those with it. You know, with uh, whether that be funding, exposure, just more research to the to the cause and to the the disease for people like my son. You know, so they have the options and the resources moving forward. I love it. And, you know, thank you so much for bringing that to people's attention. I don't no think I would have known about it if it wasn't for my cause, my cleats. So. Oh, well, that's great. I mean, you're, br- yeah. you're literally yeah. bringing awareness. All right. So switching gears, you went to college in at Oregon. Yes. And this roster's got a lot of guys that went to Oregon State. So no. uh, you've got Steven Nelson, Brandon mm-hmm. Cooks, yeah. Tegan Quatoriano just drafted out of yes, Oregon State. Yes, yes. Uh, is there any rivalry as far as that is concerned? No, no. I mean, they <laughs> they got us this year. You know, I had to give them the nod, you know. Okay. But, uh, I mean, it happens. I think, you know, we're still big dog, you know what I'm saying? Or, you know, how how it goes in that Civil War rivalry or, you know, what the yeah, name, the I, name changed to. Right, yeah, right. so I had to correct myself. <laughs> but I, I do think that it's great. I mean, people from the pack being able to be amongst each other, especially on the same team. So how did you pick Oregon, first of all? And, and you mm-hmm. talk about big dogs. I mean, you set a lot of records. You set Pac-12 
records. You set school records. And how did you pick Oregon over? You're from California yeah, originally. Yeah. Yeah. So how did, how did you pick Oregon over other schools? Yeah, I'm originally from Southern California. And just going there and visiting the school and seeing where they were at the time, I feel like they fitted the style that I wanted to become as a player going to the next level. And when I was talking to the coaching staff, I uh, wasn't going to be used solely as, you know, a, a big back. They wanted to get me exposed in the passing game. They wanted to uh, see me catch the ball in the backfield and do different things for my game. And I think that what sold me because it would help me at the next level and become more versatile. And you got to play with a quarterback, uh, you know, by the name of Marcus Mariota. Yes. Uh, what was that like for you? I mean, it was crazy coming in my my uh, freshman year and just having. And like, it was his last year, right? It was. It yeah. was his last year, uh, his Heisman year. And just seeing all that and like the standard that which he played to and where he, it had gotten him. You know, it, it was definitely something that, you know, I, I appreciated seeing and working with. So, I mean, it was, it was great. It was And then uh, to see him get drafted number two overall. Yeah, basically, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, definitely. I mean, well-deserved. I mean, everything that, you know, we put out there on the field, I saw every day in practice from him. Do you still keep in touch with him? I know you guys didn't spend a lot of time together. He's still obviously in the league, yeah, still yeah. playing. So Yo, not, you guys not, keep in touch over the years? Yeah, not close contact, but definitely we play against each other. We have a small talk and, you know, sure. be able to catch up uh, for the most part. All right, before I let you go, what do you think about this running backs group? Because you said you were here last year, but it's mm. changed, obviously, yeah. this year. You've got Damian Pierce. Yes. And then you've got, of course, Rex Burkett mm. coming back. Daria Gumbawale, who had been with the team, but not when you were here previously. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, Troy Hairston yep. to have a fullback in the group. What do, what do you thought of the group I mean, so far? I, I think the, the group dynamic is, is really great. I mean, uh, it starts with uh, DB. I mean, he's an amazing coach. Uh, uh, really, Danny Barrett. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, Coach uh, Coach DB. And Between then, DB and DP and then I'm yeah. DP. Okay, yeah, like, we got we, a lot. I always feel like i got to clarify yeah. which, <laughs> who we're talking about. Yes, yeah, Danny we'll Barrett. Uh -huh. Yeah, and he's great. I mean, he's definitely, you know, helped us, like, elevate our games because he's just coached for so long. You know, we have veterans in the room. Um starting with Rex, you know, Dare, myself, and then the rookies, Troy and, and uh, Damian. I mean, just coming into the league and to be able to do as well as they have, you know, mm -hmm. their first year is just amazing, honestly. I mean, I, I look at them and their work ethic and, you know, the hunger they have, you know, just early on in their career, and I'm excited for them. I mean, and um, they definitely help our room out a tremendous amount. Royce, it was a pleasure getting to know you a little bit better. Best of luck for the rest of the season. Thanks Thank for you. I appreciate it. I'll tell you this. Neat guy. Really fun guy to talk to. We had him in our studio back in June, May or June. When we did our media days, and Mark and I had a chance to interview him. We really enjoyed talking to Royce Freeman both on and off the air, and hopefully he'll continue what he's been doing, uh, grinding out yards, picking up big carries. I mean, he was really – I think that was the only run play on the final drive was – a great little four-yard run that got down to the six-yard line on first down. So, a lot of Rice Freeman. I'm happy with that. I was also very happy calling a lot of J.J. Watt's games. In the lab, Drew Doherty and I discussed the retirement and the career as a Houston Texan of J.J. Watt. That's next right here on Texans All Access. We want final segment of this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, southern reporter, one half of the In the Lab podcast duo, myself and Drew Doherty. We chop it up every single week. This week is easy. About two hours before we recorded our podcast, J.J. Watt announced uh, cryptically his retirement. I would imagine that's what he meant with his words about playing his last NFL home game last week. So Drew and I, of course, knowing J.J. and being around here for the majority of his career, both of us, well, we talked about 
Big 99 and what he meant to the team and the stories and everything right here on In the Lab. Let's go. John, you and I have had a front row seat to greatness. That is correct. So normally we would talk about the Texans and what was a really fun win, a very eventful win, a truly memorable win because of the cold, the uh, postponement, the way it ended, all that stuff. But we're going to push all that aside because the greatness which we're referencing was the career of J.J. Watt. We saw it. You were on the sidelines starting in 2014 through now, so you saw a pair of Defensive Player of the Year seasons, maybe the greatest season by any defensive player of all time in 2014. I was at the airport in 2011, the morning after he got drafted and picked him up, Yeah, put a microphone on him and, and shot he and his family's first day in Houston. So we've seen a lot of fun stuff in our time covering J.J. Watt. And on this podcast, we're going to pinpoint the most memorable thing you saw from J.J. on the field and the most memorable thing you saw from J.J. off the field. So let's start with the field between the white lines. What thing, what one thing stands out to you the most when you think about J.J. Watt and what he did? It's almost hard to put it into words. I mean, I've been thinking about it ever since it was announced, Drew, and that he he announced it, which, which I love. He, he was the one who announced everything. He announced he was leaving from here he announced he was leaving the car he didn't leave it to somebody he didn't whisper it mm-hmm. in somebody's ear and let them do it. he just he handled it all i think the one thing that stood out to me drew was after every game we get uh, what's called a game book and it is a breakdown of the game it's got all the different stats individual stats team stats it's got everything that you could possibly want uh how long a drive went where the drive started how many yards i mean that's where we get you know, all of our, our stats. And so when we get on the on the plane, typically what happens is our PR department led by uh, Omar and Everett and Lindsay, they get on the plane and they walk around a game book, game book. And you know, we always mm-hmm. grab one because we want to look at, you know, who did what and kind of remind, I always use one for Harris hits because it reminds you, oh yeah, that play on such and such. Hey, what happened on this? You can see it online, but it's different when yeah, you're holding it's a little it in different, your hand. Yeah. Especially once you get in the air and sometimes you don't yeah. get the Wi-Fi, so you got to have the, the game book. So one thing I started noticing in 2014, I'm like, I'm looking at the game book. And so the game book for the defensive categories is pretty interesting because it's got pretty much, it's got everything. And as you're going through it, you're like, okay, what's all there? Well, there's tackles, there's assists, there's, you know, the combined sack. Wait, wait, wait. You said tackles, assists, and combined. And for the most part, if you play defense, you're only in those three categories. Right. And there's about eight or nine other categories right. in that list. So most defensive players, they only show up in those three categories. Sacks, TFLs, quarterback hits, interceptions, passes defensed, forced fumbles, and fumble recoveries. Mm-hmm. And then they've got special teams, and then they got miscellaneous on the outside, which uh, nobody really hits the miscellaneous for the most part. That's, That's like an offensive player but, tackling yeah, a guy an after interception an interception. Or fumble yeah. or something like mm-hmm. that. So those are the categories. And I started noticing as we were going through that 2014 season, I'm like, when you look at it, it just, it's a bunch of zeros. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, For you most guys. if you didn't put a zero in that, a col- or in that category and you just took the zeros out, it should be a bunch of white space. Mm-hmm. With Watt in 2014 in particular, he had games in which he'd hit every single category. Which is remarkable. I mean, which is incredible. And a lot meant, of times he'd put up a crooked number. It wasn't just a one there. Right, which meant that he was putting up a tackle, a sack, a TFL, a quarterback hit, an interception, a pass defense, a forced fumble, and a fumble recovery all in the same game. 
and he did that multiple times. And so I never really came up with, with what to call it. But I realized very, very early, like, wait a second, there are a bunch of zeros for all these other guys. And I'm not just talking for Texas. I'm talking every team. That's it. That's every game. Every that, game. That's ever been played. And then I would look at his, and I'm like, there's a number in every single category. Mm-hmm. And then in 14, he starts going over to the offensive side of the ball. And I think the one that stays with me, because it was the first one, and I remember seeing it, and I thought, I wanted, I always wanted to go out to Oakland. I was mm-hmm. always enamored with Oakland. You know, Growing up as an NFL Films kid, I just loved NFL Films, and I loved the 70s NFL Films of everything that happened in Oakland. Because those were the teams at the time, Oakland, Pittsburgh. So those, those teams, going to those places always kind of made me f- you know, feel a little different because that was the history of the game. So we go out to Oakland, our second game, and we're playing in Oakland Alameda Coliseum where A's played, where the Raiders played. I just was so looking forward to that game. We get down to the first drive, get down on the one-yard line, and I look out there, and I'm like, oh, he's in the game. Not even, Watson. And I, I'm always in queue with Mark, and I'm like, watch it tight end. Hmm. And I'm telling you, I don't get end out of my mouth. And Fitzy drops the throw, and they left him uncovered. Yeah. They didn't cover him. And he catches a touchdown. And I just remember we were talking during the break. Mark Andre and myself, we were talking and went, uh, oh, boy. This could get really interesting. That was week two. And it did. And it got really interesting in 2014. Because he caught I, two more for touchdowns. Yeah, he caught two more. He had the the, the one of them, remember, against Cleveland. That was hard. That was He got his He went out in, wide. Yeah. Here's your trivia question. He went out wide, one-on-one. Do you remember who he went against one-on-one? Uh, Think about the Texans' locker room now. Was it Kirksey? Yeah. Okay. He was one on one, and Kirksey actually had good coverage. Yeah. And Mallet first touchdown pass ever. Ryan Mallet through to JJ Watt. In that game, he also had two roughing the punter penalties. Well, you know what? Well, you know, it was he hilarious. was he was close to blocking a punt, and I bet you know he was probably he would have found another way to get a touchdown because yeah. he caught, he ran for a, he returned a fumble, he returned a, a, an interception. That would have been another way to score a touchdown. He also scored uh, had a safety that season. Yeah. Yeah. That. I remember in that Oakland touchdown that you're, you're referencing there at the beginning, I'm up in the press box, and a guy named Seth Medvin was a PR yeah, intern was, yeah. at the time, and he would go yep. on to help run the show in Denver. And, um, but Seth just kind of elbowed me and said, hey, J.J. Watson at tight end. Yeah. And then it's sort of the same thing. I look up, and the pass is going his way, and I, you know, you're know, you about 30 seconds ahead of the broadcast, Yeah. and I type, J.J. Watt catches a touchdown, and a lot of people are like, what, huh, what? And then they saw it, and... <laughs> yeah. uh, it registered, but so yeah. in that game, that this is just this is the Cleveland game you're talking about, yeah. In that Cleveland game, he had five tackles. He mm-hmm. had a sack, uh, which amounted to six yards lost. He had three TFLs. He had mm-hmm. a forced fumble and he had a fumble recovery. I mean, the only categories he didn't and hit he caught were a interceptions pass. and pass defense. And he caught a touchdown. Yeah, I mean uh, that was that was just, that was one game. Oh, and he had the two 15 yard penalties, which was a hilarious story, um, because Bill O'Brien was steaming mad about it. Uh huh. And he was, you know, uh, you know, Brian, he's kind of stomping up the sideline. JJ's kind of standing there with his hands on his hips, knowing, like, he screwed up. Yeah. But he screwed up, you know, going hard, but he screwed up twice. And you could just tell Brian steaming. And after about 10 seconds, he looks over at JJ and says, go back in. And he went back in. And then he just wrecked shop the rest of the game. <laughs> and to be fair to Bill O'Brien, he gets, he, gets, uh, he gets called to the carpet on a lot of things over what happened here. But you got to give him a little bit of credit because some some head coaches would not have said or would not have let J.J. Watt go right. play on offense. They said, no, you're yeah. a defense. 
he let that happen, and it, did. It, it it worked out. It worked out very well, yep. and it, it made your team better. How about you? Well, I've got a bunch, and I also want to add one more uh, little aside. But you, me, DP, and Vandermeer were in a, a meeting one time in the off season with O'Brien, and he talked about. Or I don't know. Maybe it was a. I don't know. Anyways, it was an off the record meeting. Yeah. And O'Brien said J.J. Watt could get in. You could take away every single sack that J.J. Watt ever did. You could strip that from his career. And he said, I believe he's still a Hall of Famer based solely mm-hmm. on what he did TFL-wise. Yeah, yeah. Running, running backs down and stopping guy. And, I mean, if you look at it, he does have a slew of TFLs. And mm-hmm. I remember one of my best friends – he knows about sports. He played a little bit of football, you know, on the JV in high school. But he doesn't follow the game, and he's yeah. we kind of crack on him for it. But he came to the 2014 game here against the Ravens, and Justin Forsett was the rushing yardage leader that year, and he was playing for the Ravens. And he, my friend, talked about how amazing it was that JJ basically broke through, picked up Forsett, and slung him backwards. <laughs> And he, my friend used some UFC movie. He did a da 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 da. And I was yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. JJ Watt does those sort of things. But, anyways, in between the lines, I mean, the obvious one is the pick six in the playoff game. It just totally swung things and Changed put it on his ear. And it was yeah. kind of JJ Watt's sort of coming out party as a star because the yep. next week at Baltimore, he played even better. I mean, yep. he had multiple sacks, he was multiple great. TFLs. It was a, an amazing game. He says himself, that's the best game I ever had, the best game I ever played. Against the Ravens? Against the Ravens in the playoffs. And if you look, it it kind of was. But, I mean, I just think back to that 2014 season and everything that he did, and it's more about after he caught that touchdown against the Titans because he'd gotten a strip sack, yep. I believe, to get the yes, ball back for correct. the Texans. And mm-hmm. then he goes run, runs back in and catches the touchdown – and he throws the ball up into the stands. But what would happen after all those touchdowns he scored, that one, the one against the Bills, the fumble yep. return, the one against uh, or excuse me, was against the Colts, and then the pick six against the Bills. When he did those things, they'd go to break. And normally here at the stadium, everything is so choreographed, and you got to get a sponsor, yeah, yeah. Uh, some sort of, <laughs> yeah. you know, this right. brought to you, blah, blah, blah. You know, all that stuff is happening. We do not miss a beat when it comes to that. Yeah. But that year, to our credit, they would kind of push that stuff to the side and say, we'll do it next break. And they would just play turn down for what? And they'd get it going. They'd lock on a fan with a 99 jersey on, going crazy. Yeah. And then they'd pan over to the sideline, and J.J. Watt would look at the camera and like stick his tongue out, and the place would erupt. Yeah. And then they'd go back. And the incredible. song's still playing. They'd go back to another fan, another fan, another fan. And then they'd go down to J.J., and he'd just like raise his eyebrows. The place would go bananas. And that's how they would spend the break. And I loved it. Yeah. It was so much fun. I wish it would have resulted in playoffs and all that stuff, but that one and then I his last game, his last meaningful game here, you know, I think was the playoff win over the Bills when he yeah. came back. That was know? incredible because he had missed 8 weeks and there yeah. you know, being in the building and he ignited things. He got the sack to ignite the win. I mean, we're down, you know, 13 to nothing at that point and if you if you give him a touchdown like, man, we're down 3 scores. This is going to be tough the way the offense is playing, but he gets the sack. The place goes ballistic. TJ was here mm-hmm. in, the, in the suite, kept showing him on TV. And that held to a fuel. So now it's 16 nothing, And I'm thinking, okay, it's two scores. We got to get two two point conversions, but, you know, it's doable. Um, and that, that, turned, that turned everything around. Um, and you're right. That was the, that was the last meaningful 
uh, you know, game. The play that I, the last meaningful play that I remember was in 2020 when we were at Detroit for yeah, Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah. When they went down and they scored, and I'm like, golly. I mean, I'm the only one in the building, basically, mm-hmm. because there's nobody there's nobody there. It's me and Tracy Wolfson and a few photogs. I mean, it was weird. And um, I just see him make that play, and you could, you know, the guy leaps up, snags it. I mean, you always called him a jungle cat, and he just, le- he just leapt up, just snagged it, and yep. it took off for the end zone. I thought... Well, hot damn, and he did, he did it again. I mean, he he did things that normal humans just didn't didn't do on a football field. And it was funny because I remember I was asked this in 2013 before I came over to Texas because obviously at that point JJ was was almost a football god in this mm-hmm. in this town. And a loyal listener Lamont was like, "All right, man, I'm tired of listening to this about how, how good Watt is. Tell me what he does wrong." <laughs> and I was like, "Well." kind of everything and what i meant by it was if you look at the number of tfls and he actually he did it the other night against the buccaneers it's the same thing he has done and i always remember thinking he at some point's gonna get caught and he never did but what he would do was when a line would move a particular way they would all kind of slide one way or zone block one way well he would step that way and then go around the other way and guys would whiff and miss, uh-huh. and then he would dart down a line of scrimmage and get a TFL. So I looked it up. He's got 191 TFLs in his career. He had 170, That's 172 of them in Houston, which in 10 years, that means he had 17 TFLs per year. And there are a couple of years he didn't play. He had 39 of them in 2012. He had 29 in 2014. He had 51 quarterback. God dang it. He had 51 quarterback hits in 2019. Anyways. He would that move that that was so incredibly wrong. Mm-hmm. Like you're not supposed to do that. And you know who's to blame for that? Wade Phillips. Wade yeah. Phillips talked to him when he was a rookie in 2011, midway late through, and said, "Right, listen, go He's ahead, go go for it. Yeah, because there's going to be this defense. There's other guys that can they'll be able to right. compensate, and we know what you can do. Take start taking chances, and he did. And because he was playing, he, he he said, "I was playing a little too conservatively and, yeah. and thinking too much as a rookie." Well, yeah, and you're as a rookie, you're going to, and then Wade kind of unlocked the box, and it's so fundamentally wrong, and yet it was the perfect thing. And what I what I loved about those Texans defense at that time was JJ could do that, and the guys behind him, as Wade pointed out, they would react to it. Mm-hmm. They would account for that. Linebackers might, you know, JJ might jump into the B gap on a play like that. And the linebacker might have responsibility for the B gap and the CJJ there and then replace him in the A gap. And that will allow JJ to do it. He had trust in his teammates to be able to do that, which I thought was interesting too. But he was fundamentally wrong what he was doing, but yet it was paying off. Oh, yeah, it certainly did for JJ Watt. Hopefully, we'll get a chance to catch up with JJ. Uh, when he comes back to Houston, spends that uh, one-day contract, Sunday one-day contract, that'll be a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun doing this show. A big thanks to J.J. Watt, to Drew Doherty, to D.B. City, to Royce Freeman, to Frank Frangie, to Mark Vandermeer, to Nick Casario, and all of you for listening. We'll see you next time, and as always, go Texans.